0: Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses ForgeFX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash impact.
1: Seven minutes past the hour, let's get to our guest, Alex Wolf, Managing Director and Head of Investment Strategy at J.P. Morgan Private Bank, Head of Investment Strategy for Asia. I just gave you a promotion, Alex. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Um, So somewhere in here, uh, we might be seeing value in the bond market. Uh, We've got yields on the two-year all the way up at 386 and the 10-year at 344. Do you like uh, do you like fixed income for value here, or would you rather look at some stocks that have uh, been bombed out a little bit and longer term still look pretty good?
2: Yeah, at the moment we are definitely favoring fixed income, especially after the, the recent rise in yields. We see it as a as a attractive entry point. We like we like it both on the shorter end and the longer dated end as well. <clears throat> shorter dated, you're you're getting attractive yields. Uh, it's being able to lock in those types of yields, especially over, a, over over a shorter time horizon, is quite attractive relative to our expectation for for equity returns. But even on the uh, at the longer duration spectrum, you're getting better downside protection as well, and particularly after the recent rise, say in the ten year, being able to lock in those yields. And if we do see an economic downturn, if we do tilt into a recession, then you're likely to see a benefit to your portfolio from holding holding longer dated bonds.
0: And Alex, do you think we will? And if we do, how deep, how long is a recession likely?
2: We think that the chances are are significant. Uh, right now, we're looking at probably about a 50% chance, which isn't really telling you, you know, telling you that much uh, in, in terms of it being a bit of a of a coin toss. But that is a, a high. If you think about a recession probability indicator, that is a relatively high percentage. So you have to account for those risks in your portfolio. Whether we do or not, we are facing an economic slowdown, and so, we do have yeah, to account ahead. for that.
1: Yeah, you mentioned uh, that you'd like to focus on private investments and and real assets. Um, We had an example of a private investment today that uh, was thumbs down from investors. um, Adobe buying Figma for about $20 billion dollars. The the issue I think is that in the private markets we don't have mark to market every day like we do in the public markets, and so assessing valuation could be difficult. I'm not asking you if Adobe overpaid, but how do you uh, how do you avoid overpaying in the private markets?
2: Yeah, that is a difficult problem, especially right now as we're seeing valuations in in uh, in, in public securities come come down, and you are expecting some eventual mark to market that's going to mark down the valuations in in private markets. The best thing you can really do in that respect is is work with a very good manager, uh, who, who is able to take advantage of of, uh, of assets right now where valuations have come down, um, are careful with how they deploy how they deploy capital. But you are eventually likely to see some reckoning from a valuation perspective in terms of what you get from rates of returns on private equity. But yes, it, it, it does it does occur with a with with a lag. But in the environment where we expect inflation to remain relatively high, where we see some growth, uh, some growth weakness, you can still take advantage of the illiquidity premium in private markets. So it still does make sense both as a hedge against inflation, and it's an area where you can still achieve relatively attractive returns.
0: Alex, I took China. We are awaiting that data dump in just over, or just under two hours' time, I think. Uh, Again, expected to show some concerns about the economy. How investable is China in your view?
2: You have to be. Selective. You have to be selective, and I think you have to right-size it within the context of, of your greater portfolio. There certainly are are headwinds, uh, not just from the rolling rock- lockdowns, uh, the impact on consumption from, from zero-COVID policies, but then certainly as well the headwinds from the property sector, property sector that's likely going to see deleveraging over at least a couple more quarters. And as a large engine and driver of growth that that has been, it's really turning from a tailwind to a headwind. So there are pockets that are attractive, areas where they are issuing more policy support, where there is still growth, whether it's EVs or renewables. But it's really about being much more selective and and also just making sure that you have a well-diversified portfolio, not taking too large of a concentrated position.
0: Uh, Looking at WTI back towards $84 a barrel, the benchmark losing about 2% this week, you're saying uh, oil prices well-supported and the energy sector among one of the most undervalued ones. Tell us your thoughts here and, and your plays in this sector.
2: Yeah, we think that oil prices could remain could remain relatively high. Uh, so e- even though we've seen inventories inventories rise, we think that broadly on the supply side that supply will remain relatively tight, keeping keeping oil prices supported. And when we look at when we look at the future, and we expect inflation to 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 remain relatively high, although it's peaking and coming down, that does also uh, that does also present a, a pretty decent hedge in a portfolio. It's been the only really really decent performer so far this year. Even though it has rallied quite a bit, we still see some some value uh, in, in the energy sector and energy equities.
1: So, on the big story, the big macro story, and with the Fed meeting coming up, uh, just listening to uh, Doug's data check there, uh, you know, it's football season, the clock has just run out, the final score, hard landing one, soft landing zero?
2: <laughs> I don't know if the clock is, uh, has run out yet. But the uh, you're definitely moving the goalposts quite a bit and making it a lot more difficult uh, for for the Fed to achieve a soft landing. I think when we look at core inflation over the last couple months, it, it last month it it fell and it it got market and and quite quite a few uh, participants excited that we are we're finally seeing it peak and fall. But then with the most recent print, we're seeing that actually it's been fairly consistent. And when you look at the underlying the underlying drivers of inflation with with rents quite high and goods still quite high. It does, it, it, it does put further pressure on the Fed to hike, probably not 100, but at least 75. And I think even more importantly, likely to keep rates higher for longer until they really see more durable signs that the labor market is weakening and that inflation is is more sustainably coming down.
0: How does all of that and the strength of the dollar complicate things for central bankers in Asia?
2: Yeah, it, it, cer- it certainly does. I think one thing that's surprising is the fact that we haven't seen as much stress from what has been a, a very very strong dollar environment this year? Uh, certainly, historically it does it does stress emerging markets say uh, around the world, but particularly uh, particularly in in Asia. But you've seen it offset somewhat by high commodity prices. So across the EM complex, strong dollar with strong commodities has been highly highly unusual. But nonetheless, strong dollar continued tightening. You. You are going to have to see central banks in this region also continue to tighten, just because real rates across most countries are, are still are still negative. So they're really not attacking their inflation problem as aggressively as they need to. So you are likely going to see uh, forced continued tightening as well, which does just create a situation with with globalized, uh, global synchronized uh, tightening, pressuring growth, pressuring growth into next year.
1: And maybe longer. Uh, you know, it's it's tempting to think that uh, interest rates going up, that they may have to stay up for a long time. That you had 30 years of of falling rates and low inflation, and you know we could just be entering into at least a decade of this. In 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 which case, equity prices are probably too high for a long time to come.
2: That that's one thing we've started to look at a little bit more. Of course, this cycle hasn't hasn't ended yet, but how the next cycle might look different from the past, from the post GFC era. If you're looking at capital then was, was quite abundant, and you saw yields go, go negative across a large swath of, of global bonds, now we're seeing far fewer bonds with negative yields, less capital abundancy, a bit tighter labor markets, a bit tighter inter, in, terms of, in terms of commodity markets as well, and whether or not that's going to pressure the next cycle to have slightly higher run rate of inflation, slightly higher, higher rates uh, than, we've, than we've become accustomed to, certainly for the past 10-plus years.
0: Very, very quickly, your top play in Asia, Alex?
2: We like, we like ASEAN, uh, we like Indonesia, uh, ASEAN broadly because of the benefit from higher commodity prices. We also see somewhat of a delayed uh, reopening relative to developed markets, so we're still seeing a quite positive consumption story, uh, a positive reopening story. And in Northeast Asia, you're seeing quite a bit of pressure from, from the tech sector. Uh, high inventories, a slowdown in terms of tech demand. So within Asia, Southeast Asia is looking relatively attractive.
0: Alex, always great to have you on. Thank you. Alex Wolf, MD and Head of Investment Strategy Asia at JP Morgan Private Bank, with us in our Singapore studio here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia.